one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to The Inner Sanctum. Um again, this is generally something you'll find on Patreon and you'll have it ad-free on Patreon as well, actually. patreon.com slash rtrpod. But because there's so many podcasts and whatever going out at the moment, because it's such a hectic schedule, I thought, why not? Let's uh, let's give everyone a chance to listen to this, especially because I've got another fantastic guest on this week. Um, well, this week, it's all the same week, isn't it? It's all blending into one. Toby Cudworth, who is uh, an old colleague of mine, football writer, West Ham United fan, but don't hold that against him. So I'll be speaking to him a little bit later on um, in the show. But yes, Tottenham Hotspur, fresh off the back of a 3-3, heroic 3-3 draw, I should say. I'm not going to understate it. Away at the Etihad, depleted squads, called naive, Fullbacks as centre-backs. But here we are. Taking points off of Man City in their quest to stop Arsenal from winning the title. Which, uh, yeah, there's a bitter irony in that. But look, look, doesn't matter. Don't, 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 don't ruin what is a magnificent thing for Tottenham Hotspur, Jack. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that, alright? It's a good point. Well done. We go again. Arsenal have got loads of horrible games to come. They can mess up on their own like they did last year. Stop talking about Arsenal. Yes, all right, I will. I will. Ange Postacoglu has had his press conference today. Um, I asked Dan Kilpatrick earlier. Well, look, I, I'll let you know now before the, the, the chat I have with Toby. I actually thought the game was tonight <laughs> on Wednesday. So you'll hear me refer to the game on Wednesday night plenty of times. Um as I'm speaking to Toby, and he he obviously didn't have the heart to correct me, or maybe he was as poorly prepared as I am. Um, but I did ask Dan Kilpatrick if Andrew's presser would be today, and his curt response was 1pm. That's, that's what I got out of him. Um, maybe he's still reeling from the fact that he had to beg for a lift to Manchester the other evening. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm firing shots, and I don't care, because I'm so hard. But Postacoglu has had his uh, press conference today. He's been speaking to the media before Tottenham's match against West Ham on Thursday. And he's, he's confirmed a few things. He has said that Papa Matasar will be back in training. Um, that the West Ham game will be too early for his return. Richarlison is still looking to get back to fitness, but has recovered from his injury. I mean, surgery, not just an injury. It's, it's kind of, you know... Understating it a bit, isn't it? Um, James Madison's injury is going along okay. It seems to be there was a there was a lot of uh, fuss. Let's say fuss, yeah, at the start of this week, with people saying that Madison was going to be out till like late February at the earliest or something like that. And as I spoke to Phil on the Thursday Bulletin Pod, seems to be that this was somehow taken out of context. James Madison's words were misappropriated and. 
that's not the case. His his injury is still on track to be hopefully early in the new year. So, you know, please, please. Um, I know everyone likes La Celso, but come on, really? No, there's, 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 let's just have Madison back. On Christian Romero's return from suspension, Postacoglu said, he's the only recognised centre-back we have at the moment. I mean, that's pathetic, isn't it? But still. So it's good to have him back. He's a fantastic player and leader in the group. We lost Madison and him. So a lot of it fell on Son's shoulders. So from a leadership perspective, it's good to have him back. I mean, we lost Madison to injury. We lost one of our other supposed leaders, Christian Romero, for getting a silly red card. A silly red card that I should hasten to add. Arsenal pretty much replicated against Luton and seemingly didn't suffer the same fate, losing one of their best players for a month of football, which is it's, it's quite ridiculous. But still, Christian Romero, I've covered this one off previously, probably could have been sent off for the lash out off the ball just before the tackle. He makes it a bit too easy for referees with this stuff. He's obviously got a bit of a reputation now, so he just needs to calm down. I think anybody who is even in the camp of saying, no, 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 Romero did nothing wrong, can probably still surely concede that his head clearly wasn't right for that Chelsea game. He was he was clearly pretty heated. And he is one of our leaders now, as Ange says. He needs to tone it down a bit, doesn't he? He just needs to tone it down a bit. Um, on that Argentinian's discipline, Postacoglu has said, I haven't had a word to him about it. It's a part of who he is as a player. He brings a physicality to it. It's up to him to maintain the discipline that I know he can show. I'm really happy to have him back. Sounds like Ange has bottled it a bit there. But, you know... I, that also does play into what Phil said to me when I was talking about it at the time, that it's part of who Romero is for all the brilliance we get from him. If it means he gets a suspension every 18 games, as we as the pattern seems to suggest, then maybe that's just what we have to shoulder. We saw what happened when the fire left Wayne Rooney's belly, as it were. Got replaced by beige food, didn't it? Beige food and alcohol. So, you know... It is what it is. I would, I personally think, you know, Christian Romero can probably keep himself in check a little bit more, but it is what it is, isn't it? It is what it is. Um, Postacoglu has praised some of his so-called fringe players who have stepped up for Spurs in the recent weeks. It's been important because they've got an opportunity out of necessity. You're reliant on their ability to come in and not disrupt the flow. Guys like Gio Lacelso and Brian Hill, Ben Davis have been training well and we're asking them to do a different role. Their application to play our football has been key to that. Yeah, I mean, can't really fault any of them on that, can you? Ben Davis especially, I would say. Emerson Royale too. Two players who get a lot of pelters and I don't think it's warranted. And I've spoken about that with, uh, you know, Lily White Rose, John at the start of the week. Postacoglu says the lack of European football has been a disadvantage in ways for his side. Having having a game, having the game a week has felt having the God. Let me get this out properly. Right, having what he's he sort of said it weirdly. Right, so I'm gonna reinterpret his words. Having one game a week has felt like a disadvantage because we've had a lot of players at the start of the year who hadn't got a lot of football that we've suddenly had to throw in. If we'd had midweek games, you're forced to give guys opportunities. The three games this week will test us. I mean, you know, we did have the Carabao Cup, just saying. 
The only, the only, uh, look, I'm loving Ange, loving Big Ange instead of that. It's the only slight block for me still. Just the only slight one, okay? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, but, yes, I agree with him in some respects. In other respects, I don't. Because I think we saw the other, the other evening against City, they started to look pretty tired. And, and you know... They play a lot of more football than we do. I think we... You can look at this in two ways, right? Who am I to question the great Ange Postacoglu, a man who actually works in football, works with these players, has won stuff wherever he's gone. Me, a lowly, hairy podcaster, sat in my back room, talking into a microphone on my own. But still, you know. Come on. It is a bit of an advantage not playing in Europe, isn't it? Surely? I don't know. On Giuliano Vicario's improved distribution, Postacoglu said, what you look for in a goalkeeper is temperament because that's what you need to play the way we want, that you're not going to be too on edge. You have to stay, you have to stay really clear-headed and I've seen that from the very first time we scouted him. He's a big part of the way we set up. Yeah. I mean, he just is. Lloris would not be doing this. And, you know, it's so weird, isn't it? It's so weird now. Lloris is just nowhere. He's just having a, what, like a, a staycation. It's it's so, it's such a strange one. Um, it really, really must have just all fallen to pieces last season. The relationship between him, the club, the rest of the squad. You know, it's just funny. It's funny. It's a funny way to. It's a funny way to end such a, you know, really on balance great career that he's had with the club. But is what it is. On Ryan Sessegnon's recovery period, Postacoglu said, "The worst time is when you can't do what you love and you can't be a part of the group. When you're doing rehab, it's a fairly lonely experience." He's still working away and has a positive outlook, but we'll have to be cautious with him. You want to give him every chance to stay back when he gets back he's one we're not putting any timelines on I mean that really doesn't sound too hopeful does it at all I I, I do feel for Sessignon you know I know whatever we've done this one um, I think Sessignon's almost one of those that people feel is a bit like another Undombele conversation when people say oh he's coming back from injury maybe there'll be another chance for him and I think some people are just done with him they've, they've sort of washed their hands of him I Probably still fall into the camp of, you know, maybe I'd quite like to see what he can do under Ange Postacoglu. Um, even though my patience did start to wear thin with him before he picked up his latest injury. Um, but whatever it is, it sounds like the guy is maybe... not. I don't want to say struggling. I don't want to project any kind of, of my own interpretations onto him. But it sounds like, I guess, Postacoglu is just spelling out that it is a long, lonely, frustrating road for anybody coming back from injury, not being able to do what they love. Um, it must be frustrating. I can only imagine what Rodrigo Bentancur is going through as well mentally. It must be pretty, pretty damn miserable. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it is what it is, isn't it? I mean, we can't... I don't know. I, I don't know what we can say about Ryan Sessegnon. It, it's it's one of those sort of players that you you, you forget even, you know, plays plays for the team anymore. It's, it's quite a strange one, isn't it? It's quite a strange one. 
Um, he's he's spoken on Alfie Dorrington as well. He's been in the squad the last three to four weeks, so we've had plenty of time to look at him. Him and Jamie Donnelly, um, who got on last week, have been part of the first team squad. We've still got a lot of injuries, but we've got a lot of games ahead, so Alfie could get his chance in the weeks ahead. Um, I'm guessing that'll probably mean Romero and Davis. Uh, I think the fact he sort of singled out Davis as well um, previously in the in some of it. I think yeah, right. I, th- I think it's uh, I think it's likely that it's going to be Davis, and we're not going to throw Dorrington in yet. He's still a young guy, you know. He's still a young player. Um, Eric Dice still going to be out. He hasn't trained in over a week. He's got a groin issue, um, and I guess that's yeah, that's pretty much. The long and short of it ahead of West Ham. Um, so I won't prattle on for much longer or any longer at all. Let's hand over to 90 Min's Toby Cudworth um, for a good old chat about Tottenham against West Ham United. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Toby, mate. Welcome to Rule the Roost Podcast. Welcome back. I think you've been on before, haven't you? I think I've been once. Yeah. yeah. Um, nice to see you again, mate. Thanks no, for I don't me. like. To, I don't like to have too many West Ham fans on here, mate. Hey, hey, get the get the banter in early, all that. Um, Is that because we've won a trophy, mate? Is that where we're going with this? <laughs> well, you went there, and uh, I have no, I have no response. So, uh, oh, do you know? I, I, I'll let you in on something. I was actually at that game. I was I was there working and seeing you lot win it, I just remember standing there. They were like, you know, I was I was getting a sort of directive from the office, go around, get the picture of them lifting the trophy, and I was just dying inside. <laughs> I was like, as if I'm watching West Ham and Declan Rice lift a European trophy as a Spurs fan with them all like everyone around singing things like are you watching Tottenham and stuff and I'm like yes I am I'm fucking well here like um would you put that in one of the most traumatic <laughs> periods of your life <laughs> definitely in a footballing sense yeah actually maybe in a general sense um no it was it was pretty amazing um I've got 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 to hand it to you and I don't I, I don't buy the snobbery really from any Spurs fans there was a lot of coping going on that evening of the well we don't want to win that anyway it's like yes we fucking do like you can't say we're above a trophy if we can't just for example Man City show up to the Conference League and absolutely piss it they win it easily 
Spurs don't do that yet, so we can't say we're above it. Anyway, that's that's a, that's a side point. That's me arguing with Spurs fans. If if it makes you feel any better, mate, it wasn't just Spurs fans. It came from all over on Twitter, like even Arsenal fans piping up, and then it kind of carried on with when they signed Rice from us. Declan Rice hasn't done anything in the game until he's played in the Champions League. Yada 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 yada. Ah, right. But you know, I knew all along how good he was, and likewise with the Conference League, I knew what it meant. You can only beat the teams that are put in front of you, right? And any other team in our position would have loved to have had that moment. So I know it was a sad night for you, mate, but it was probably one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> I can imagine, mate. And, and, and live it up. You might as well. Why not? Yeah. Um, well, we do have a big game coming up tonight. It's a weird one. Wednesday evening. Do you know what I mean? Wednesday evening. We're playing again on the weekend. I don't know if you are as well, but um, we are. Tis the tis the season and all that. How, how are you feeling going into this one, mate? I mean, I can imagine you were licking your chops, looking at Tottenham's injury woes, and then seeing what we did against City the other night has maybe changed your position somewhat, has it? Or Yeah, I mean, I always dread this fixture for probably irrational reasons. Um, my mind always tells me we play Spurs, Harry Kane scores against us, Son scores against us, game over, I have a sad evening. Um, you obviously don't have Harry anymore and Sonny's had a good start to the season. I'm not dreading it as much as I usually would, but I still have that trepidation. And you look at West Ham's record this season, we've played 21 games in all comps. We've won 12, only lost six. You'd look at that record and you'd think, yeah, should be relatively confident going into it. But there's something about the way that we're playing at the moment that makes me just think, we still haven't quite got the mentality to go and take advantage of teams who are weakened by players being out injured. So although you're missing a few key bods, I think I think you're going to have enough to get past us. And I just look back at Son's record. He's got eight goals against West Ham and seven assists. We have this horrible track record of just allowing players to either continue that kind of run or if you've got a player bang out of form, so say Richarlison was fit for this game, I'd have a five on Richarlison scoring against us because <laughs> we're that kind of team to just kind of break that that scoring duck. So, um, yeah, I, we could get a point, mate. We could steal a point. But if you were going to ask me to put money on it, I'd say Spurs are going to win, unfortunately. See, that's so funny because, I don't know, I, I think, I often reckon a lot of Spurs fans would say that you've got something of a hoodoo over us. You often tend to do all right against Spurs. And I know that leads to the whole, it's their cup final discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just, I, I can't get the image of that Lanzini equaliser out of my head from lockdown. It was just such a, it completely derailed the Jose Mourinho project. You could even probably say that, I think it was even Lanzini again, <laughs> scored against us in the Leicester year, wasn't it? At the, it was, at the London. Yeah. Fucking bloody Lanzini um but you're right before I came on to record this with you a couple of the Spurs boys in the office said how am I feeling about the game and I told them and they said exactly what you said they said nah you got a chance you know you got a good team good players and you always come and you know do something to us unexpectedly and I'm thinking do we so I think I look at it the same way that you're looking at it you're a little bit worried I'm a little bit worried we've only won at your place twice in the last 10 meetings i believe you inflicted um, our first ever defeat on us in the in you the did. Tottenham Hotspur and, stadium and i was there did you the, i was in the i was there in the press uh area sat next to ben haynes so uh <laughs> he was kind of gripping onto his seat and you know you have to sit there impartial because you're working etc 
I couldn't help myself because it was a brand new stadium. <laughs> I grabbed him by both the shoulders. I was literally shaking him. And then I had that realization of, Christ, where am I? And just suddenly like froze on the spot. Like, shit, I hope people aren't looking at me. You, um, you, you were enraptured in the moment of Michel Antonio's genital themed celebration. Yeah, uh, and then yeah. I rocked it, and then I mimicked it. I went down into the press <laughs> area and I, uh, I replicated it. It was, a, it was a great day. Ran along the touchline. It was the day I lost my job, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because this is the interesting thing with you, mate, right? With West Ham, that is when I say you, is that you, you kind of have this love hate back forth relationship with david moyes where he, he seems like he's going down a path where everyone's like oh, okay yep yeah, he's, he's he's gonna he's gonna be out the door soon he's gonna be out the door he's gonna be oh and now they're winning loads of games and they look really good and they're getting well away from the relegation zone and they're actually making a late push for the kind of you know mid-table positions and everything like that yeah obviously last year it culminated in you winning a trophy as well a european trophy at that is it just that he just doesn't quite do enough to really get sacked? That he is, even if you are loath to say it, pretty solid for you. Because yeah. one of my West Ham fan mates at work, like, love hates him, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's weird. When he took over, we've never had any real success. In my lifetime, we've had no success. So before we won the Conference League last year, 1980 FA Cup final was the last time we'd won anything. We'd got to an FA Cup final in 2005 when Stevie G scored that fucking last-minute goal. But apart from that, success for us has always been a top-half finish in the Premier League. And when Moyes took over, we were battling relegation. Uh, that was during the COVID season. He kept us up. And then somehow we finished sixth, got to Europa League semi-finals. We then finished seventh. For a team like us, mate, it's not going to get any better than that. Until we have a, a city group style takeover and we've suddenly got an abundance of bloody money, there's no way that we're ever going to be aspiring to be any higher than top six. So Moyes, in that sense, has done absolutely everything that he could do. He's then followed that up by winning a European trophy, not just any trophy, a European trophy. But you're right, there's this, it's this modern day stigma, right, of you want to play football in a certain way and you have to play a fashionable brand of football that just isn't Moyes. So the fact that West Ham are still, we're doing all right. We're doing okay this season. We've lost a few games that we probably think we shouldn't lose. But as I said earlier, 12 out of 21 in all comps we've won this season. That's good for West Ham. Um, I think people just have to realise West Ham's standing and positioning in the football landscape. Like, What are we realistically thinking we can do given you've got City... Arsenal, all right, Man United are in the pits at the moment, but they've still got finances glory. Got Newcastle coming up. Chelsea are in a rotten patch at the moment. They won't be forever. They've got you boys. Seventh or eighth is probably the best that West Ham can hope for, right? And we're on the edge of that as it stands. But people just want to see attacking football, Jack. And it it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you've got to be practical and you've got to just deal with the players that you've got in hand. And we've only got Mikel Antonio. We've had to play one way for like two and a half three years I don't doubt that's not sustainable and it can't go on forever but it's what we've got at the moment so just got to kind of suck it up and roll with the punches he probably will go at the end of the season that said because he's out of contract I think there would be a huge huge um, storm protest if West Ham even considered 
giving him a new contract, but we might just have to see how the next couple of months go and then we'll see whether or not the conversation turns. Could you see yourselves taking a cheeky punt on someone like Mourinho? You know, getting older again. I think he's coming to the end at Roma as well, isn't he? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we had the Manuel Pellegrini experiment um, and he did all right in his first season with Mm. us. But then, you know, we're a club where if things are going badly or if you're not playing very well, the crowd are on top of you immediately. And West Ham's historic response to that is to curl up in a little ball, freeze, uh, rabbit in the headlights kind of thing. And we just start losing games that you shouldn't lose. I think that because we've got Daniel Kratinsky waiting in the wings to take over from David Sullivan, I think he would want to hire a progressive style of coach. So somebody like Graham Potter, because it's fashionable Mm. because of the work that he did at Brighton. I think that's the kind of profile manager he would want. If David Sullivan decides, you know what, I'm not selling up and I'm going to stick around for a while longer, he might take another punt on a big name manager. I think it would be a mistake. Um, But at the same time, we've got players now that we want desperately want to keep hold of. Lucas Pakatar, Mohamed Kudus. I don't know how they they signed for us in the first place, mate, to be honest. They're better than us. So we've got to show some level of ambition with our next managerial appointment to kind of appease those players and show them that we've got a little bit of ambition. So it may have to be a big name just to get them to think about staying. But ultimately, they're not going to stick around, are they? If we come 10th or 11th in the league, that's probably not going to be good enough. Um, Can you give me some sort of idea about the the ownership situation at the moment, mate? Because you sort of, you hinted towards it there. Because I've I've always seen you like, you know, whatever I say as a Spurs fan, you know, historic London club. You are one of the bigger teams in the Premier League in the country. Huge stadium now, central London location. You're surely prime for that Newcastle, Chelsea, City type takeover. You'd have thought so. I mean, Daniel Krutinsky invested in West Ham uh, around two years ago. So he's got around a 25% shareholding. It was a little bit more than what David Gold um, owned in the club. Sullivan's got the majority stake. I think it's just under 40. And the idea of Krutinsky's investment was that eventually he was going to buy out David Gold, he was going to buy Mm. out David Sullivan and he will become our full owner. Um, They never really put a timeline on it. And I think that's where the uncertainty lies here. David Gold's obviously passed away um, and his 25% shareholding, I think, has just gone to his estate and his family at the moment. So David Sullivan hasn't bought those shares, neither has Daniel Kratinsky. I think ideally from a West Ham perspective, it would be Kratinsky who takes that shareholding but if he did it right now he'd become the majority owner and then David Sullivan's out of the picture um, which he clearly doesn't want he's the future and he I think he's worth about three billion pounds this guy um, has made his money uh, he's is he an energy guy I think he's an energy guy but he also owns Sparta Prague Jacks so he's got yeah. other footballing investments um, and I think he is the route that West Ham will eventually go down. But we thought Sullivan might walk away at the beginning of 2023. That was kind of rumoured when Krasinski invested. That didn't happen, whether or not that was coinciding with David Gold passing away, potentially. Um, but there's been no real rumbling of Sullivan wanting to move on anytime soon. And I think West Ham winning a trophy has probably made him think, hmm. 
I'll stick around for a little bit longer. What do you, I mean, you, you must be able to see that, mate, if you, if you do get this kind of a, a, an owner who is committed to, like you say, taking you up another level, spending money in the right way in this progressive fashion. I mean, that, that does bother me as a Spurs fan. And it must, because I still think, the thing about West Ham and Spurs is that as much as you say like everyone needs to be realistic and everything, you still, you have a bit of the thing about you that Spurs do and that you, you lot are still dreamers as well. You know, you yeah. still kind of, you want the bit, you know, I'm forever blowing bubbles. That's your, that's your theme exactly, tune. Exactly, right? it's our motto. Yeah, yeah you know, you, 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 you still have that. So there must be that bit of you, mate, that thinks we could be. With all those things I outlined before in that first question, we could be just on the verge of something quite good here. And I'm sure Spurs fans won't like me saying this, but it does. It just bothers me a bit that you could... Well, we've got the infrastructure, as you say. Right, yeah. The stadium is 63,000. Loads of people still hate that we've gone to that stadium, but look, it's done. Um, we get really good ticket and gate receipts from it. The deal that we got um, in terms of paying rent on the stadium was obscene borderline um, scandalous mate borderline. yeah <laughs> absolutely and we've kind of enjoyed that luxury for seven or eight years um we can expand it even further to get towards sixty-eight thousand capacity um and only old trafford is bigger than that um so in terms of infrastructure and being able to attract players to come and play for us that we're obviously in the heart of london as well we are an appealing club I guess maybe if I was looking at it objectively and I took my, you know, West Ham passion out of it, I'd probably think, yeah, there is a chance we could break into it. But I'm just so cautiously aware, Jack, of everybody else has got the same opportunity as us. Um, so maybe that's what makes me think it won't happen to me. Uh, it won't happen to my club. It will always be we're the bridesmaids and I'll watch somebody else, you know, go on and take the glory. But we do have the things there and the tools available to us to go and do it. I guess it's one of those ones where I just, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, it's, this is, this is the thing about the Premier League now, right? And this is the thing that leads to so many arguments amongst Spurs fans as well, is that people just, I think, neglect a lot of the time just how difficult it is and how many good teams there are now. When you actually go through all 20 teams in the Premier League, even down to the, I mean, right, okay, you look at somebody like Luton, you think, yeah, fair enough, okay, they're, they're down there in the mix. But Burnley as well, maybe, but they've got a decent owner behind them now. They seem to pump a lot of money into the squad. Sheffield United, yeah, but the rest, pretty much every other team in the Premier League is yeah. rich, has a good squad, is not really setting a limit on their ambition, right? And well, well, nobody looks out of place in the top 10 in the Premier League. No. Don't forget, Villa are fourth. Villa are owned by multi-billionaires as yeah. well. And they've spent a decent chunk of money to assemble the squad that they've got. They've got Unai Emery in there, so that a Europa League winning manager, somebody who's done it at the highest level and is taking them to the next stage. And Brighton, their business model just kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? They've yeah. got this bloody knack of uncovering these gems from South America and even closer to home Evan Ferguson I think is probably going to be one of the best Premier League strikers in the years to come so when they come to sell him that's going to be what another 80 100 million in the bank for Brighton they are so well set up that they don't look out of place now as a top 10 team there's not one side in that top half of the table that don't either have loads of money behind them or just exceptionally well run no, so, and on that note, even behind that, you're then suddenly like, well, Brentford, Wolves, Palace, 
Yeah. I mean, Everton, we know of their turmoil, but still, historically speaking, these sort of teams don't look out of place in a top 10 either. It's No, and they think like us. So, okay, West Ham have got a little bit more history. Um, they've got bigger stadiums than all of the teams that you've said there. But if you spoke to an Everton fan and took the table out of the equation, they would think they're as big as West Ham in terms of just pure football and pure attraction. And when they move to their new stadium, as long as they get out of trouble and clear, all right, they're going to take a while to clear their debts, but Everton aren't a small club, are they? And they have the same ambition as probably what West Ham do. They think they should be a top 10 club as a minimum. And they think they should be knocking on the door of top six, top seven, because they did it for years when me and you were growing up. Moyes did that consistently. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. And that's why I look at it. And I just think, even if West Ham get more investment from Kratinsky to get to the next level, how deep is he going to have to go in his pockets to outspend some of these other teams? Because City will keep spending, won't they? I think Arsenal are going to keep spending. Liverpool will, Newcastle, etc., etc. West Ham would have to spend so much money and always qualify for Europe to be able to justify the spend. Um, I guess that's when maybe the Champions League format changing is at the end of this season where it's about to become five teams. I think so, yeah. I mean, that will make it more appealing, I guess, for owners to invest because the riches of the Champions League will be there. But it's risk-reward, isn't it? Um, And it's a huge gamble. What have you... uh, just, Just moving back to our game, mate. What have you? What have you made of Spurs under Ange? Have you, you know, again, like you say, shelf the West Ham bias just from the outside? What do you think we're onto a onto a good one with him? Yeah, I do. Honestly, so pre-season, um, I'll be honest. I had Spurs eighth in my predictions, and that was pre Harry Kane leaving because I just looked at the strength of everybody else and I thought he's going to need some time to settle. Yeah, and I hadn't watched loads of Celtic, but you obviously just get that stigma of well, Celtic are expected to win everything in Scotland, aren't they? You know, it's, it's either them or Rangers and Rangers are not at their peak. So I probably glossed over a little bit the style of play that Ange had Celtic playing. And look, he's completely revolutionised Spurs in the space of three months. I'm astonished that the mood around the team has changed so quickly. Um, and this no fear attitude that, some are praising, some are slating. I think it's great. I think it's really refreshing. Um, and even though it's Spurs who are doing it, I watch you and think that's the kind of attitude I would like to see from my team. So, all right, you're no longer in the top four because you've had a few injuries strike you down. But once you've got your players back, I think you've got a serious chance of getting top four this season. Um, and he just seems to be a really good man-manager not just speaking to the press, but am I wrong in thinking that he's really good with the players? And I think everybody has already bought into wanting to play for him, which is something you've been missing the entire time that you had Conte, Mourinho, um, even the, the latter couple of months of Poch. I think that feeling had gone. But is he like Poch for you in a way? Do you, have you got that clamouring for him already? I, I, I'm a big fan of his mate. They they are slightly different. There is a, there's a there's a funny detachment with Ange Postecoglou and the players. In so much as, and he, he's he's always been very upfront with this that he's not their mate, you know. He and I don't. I think that's a thing where he doesn't really often like to go into the dressing room so much. He sees that as that's where the players are, and it's not his job to be in there to be policing them to be alongside them. 
he does seem to have a the players speak very highly of him they do all seem to like like him a lot they see you know the way his coaching is improving them individually and as a collective unit I think they all admire and appreciate his team talks that's something we hear a lot about but in terms of like Pochettino felt very much like he was a bit of a kind of like how Pep is the big brother kind of character the the disappointed big brother who will shout at them when they're not doing so well, but put an arm around them and be all jokes and friendly and all this type of thing. Whereas Postacoglu, there is a certain, and it feels funny to say because he does seem like such an affable guy, such a down-to-earth guy, but there does seem to be a, a certain almost cold detachment in in certain ways with him. Um, and I think it is, it is very much a, a professional thing. Maybe it is kind of because of his age. He's a bit more old school, perhaps. Yeah. Um and maybe it's just the way he sees it's you know the best way to to manage players to manage egos all this type of thing to not get too friendly with people to have more of a a professional relationship with them. Whatever he's doing it's working. You know the guy yeah. is we're playing some of the the best football I've seen like you say since those peak Pochettino years. Um he definitely has a lot of these players believe me and Pedro Porro is somebody that I was so skeptical of as buying he felt like this this guy is completely a conte signing this is yeah. works only in antonio conte system i mean antipostacoglu has really he's grabbed hold of pedro porro and molded him into something absolutely amazing i mean you say it quietly but pedro porro has probably been our player of the season so far in in some respects um yeah. And, you know, I, like I say, I openly hold my hands up into going into this season thinking, no, nah, not a chance, not a chance. What a waste of money. Like, yeah. good player, but doesn't suit this system. But, yeah, I mean, so he's managed to do that. I mean, he's managed to get Eve Basuma playing football again, although he's kind of fallen off a little bit since he got a, a, a you know, a, a ridiculous red card at Luton and ridiculous because of his antics, not because of the refereeing or anything like that. Yeah. Um. So I think he's taken a bit of a knock to his confidence, but it it just feels. I think one of the main things I would say that I've seen since you know he's come in is yes, I'm seeing patterns of play. I'm seeing you know we were always told under Conte there were these automations, there were these styles of play, these patterns of play. Never saw it under Conte really, barring a few games here and there. Yeah, under Postacoglu, I see constantly we're very well drilled. We seem to you know anticipate where one another are going to be and string a few passes together nicely you've seen some of our lovely attacking flowing moves and things like that our our counter-attack against Manchester City for our first goal on the weekend was you know a prime example of that a lovely work goal that that you feel is partly instinctive I think he's given play like power to the players who have this creativity Um, but I do think part of it is drilled it's it's like I say working on these progressive patterns of play yeah. But I think the the main thing that I would say is just the spirit, the spirit around the team that under Mourinho, under Conte, we saw in very slight flashes and then disappeared as soon as we got a bad result. We're talking players not working for one another, didn't feel like there was much squad harmony, it didn't feel like there was any kind of brotherhood or unity or anything to our squad. It felt so detached, it felt like some people going out, doing a job, then walking in at the end of each game and there was no real love there between the terraces and the players. It felt like there was no real love between the players themselves. And just in 
In 15 games, as it was pointed out to me by uh, John, who I spoke to the other day, Spurs fan Lily White Rose, 15 games Ange Postacoglu's had in charge, and it couldn't be any more stark a difference. The, the, yeah. the way in which these lads all seem to be bought into the project, if you like, but one another, all fighting for one another, all playing for one another, all completely just like in love with it. Gio Lo Celso, who's been on the complete fringes of Tottenham pretty much ever since we signed him, has always there's always been kind of talk, whether it's rumours or whether it's him leaking stuff through his own people, that he's not happy at the club, he's not settled in England. Even he now is starting to. I don't know if you saw him. He getting into a, a tussle with Erling Haaland at the end of the game the other the other night because Erling Haaland was mouthing off to some Spurs players. Gio Celso was right in there. So you've even got kind of like I say these outlier players who are getting involved, getting into the mix, and seemingly be part of this team unit. And it, it's very exciting. Like we have had a, a run of pretty terrible results up to the Manchester City result, but I think it's felt different just in so much as it's been. And it sounds like an excuse, and ordinarily it probably would be, but in this instance, we have had such an unprecedented injury crisis that yeah. I think even the most kind of leave out ardent Spurs fans, I mean, there may be a few here and there who aren't, but most people have still been quite understanding of it. And I don't think anyone's been that ragged, for want of a better word, about the fact that Spurs have lost three in a row. Even if we were to have lost that City game, I think everyone was kind of understanding of, we've seen how good this can be. Yeah, We're missing Van der Ven, we're missing Romero, Madison, you know, Richarlison, who you know, is still faltering somewhat, but still hopefully a player there. He's had one transfer window so far. Hopefully we're going to continue to add to that. We've rebuilt our scouting and transfer team or whatever you want to call it I don't really know they've all got funny different yeah. weird job titles now that sounds like they work in a kind of you know printing office or something <laughs> office supplies you know warehouse but it, it's they I think there's something there is something good here at Spurs and it just it all depends doesn't it because like I look at somebody I look at what Arsenal are doing um, and I I, I do I said this a lot last year. My greatest fear is that they're going to win the league. And I, I do think sooner or later, they're maybe just going to get it right. They've added, you know, sorry to say, Declan Rice to that mix. Yeah. And they seem to be bought into what Arteta's doing. They're a club that, that you know, they'll refute it. They'll say, yeah, but what have you won? But really now on paper, in the cold, modern, boring, horrible business sense of football, Tottenham and Arsenal are similarly sized clubs, right? Similar sized stadiums, similar sized turnover, They've yeah. got a bit more history than us, but even that's 20 plus years ago now. You know, how many young players growing up really now are thinking, you know, Arsenal are one of the, the big boys. They know they're decent enough, but Spurs probably for a generation of players, we've been finishing above Arsenal and, you know, getting to a Champions League final and all this other type of stuff, right? So I, th I think we're sort of similarly sized clubs. And I look at what Arsenal are doing and I'm seeing it's taken some... Uh, an air of good luck, I would say. It's taken sort of results going their way in places for some of their form, but you can't deny the fact that they've been ultra progressive with their transfers and they've spent a hell of a lot of money. So they do show that it's kind of possible. Um, and I think Spurs really, you know, ultimately the, the stumbling block that is always going to come down to it with Spurs for me is that are we going to do what they did this summer and sign Declan Rice for £100 million? Yeah. 
Yeah. Are we going to go out in January like they're probably going to do and sign an Osiman or a Tony for a similar figure as well? I don't know if Spurs are ever going to do that. And that's why I don't know if we, we can... I don't know. Like you were saying to yourself of West Ham, it's a competitive league. It's a highly competitive league. It's not easy to win the Premier League. Man- yeah. Like Liverpool to do it eventually had to spend about 150 mil on Alisson and Van Dijk, you know, to, to, to finally get it over the line. It, it's... Well, even if you do it, they're probably going to go and do it as well. So you could sign a brand new spanking central midfielder for 70, 80 million. But that's not to say that Liverpool aren't going to go and do the same thing and bring in somebody equally as good. And I think that's the difficulty of trying to climb the ladder. It doesn't necessarily matter how much you spend. It matters what your competition's doing as well. And if they're strengthening to the same level that you are, you're going to find it very difficult to close that gap. And that's where you kind of lean on the strength and the expertise of the manager. And from what I've seen from Postacoglu so far, I think there's a bit of a comparison you can draw with Arteta in terms of he's clearly got a defined best 11 already at Spurs. I think he knows who the back four will be when everybody's fit. You've had Basuma, Madison and Pape Sarr, who actually wanted to suggest as being one of your best players this season purely because he had a bit of hype didn't he when he first came to you and then he didn't get into the team under Conte um, I think he's been great this season and then you've had Kulisevsky, Son and then a bit of a rotating cast of Richarlison and, and Brennan Johnson but generally you've got the foundation haven't you if your strongest 11 Arsenal are very similar in that way Arteta has known his strongest 11 probably for the last 18 months, I'd say. Mm. And in the big games, you always see the same names on the team sheet. It's a bit different this year because they've brought in Havertz, Rice, and they've got a little bit more depth. You haven't got that depth yet. But Postacoglu, the one thing he is seemingly able to do, and the same with Arteta, your peripheral players, so the Celso that you've mentioned there, Hoiberg's become a peripheral player, hasn't he? How many games has he started this season? Probably three, four, maybe? Maybe, yeah, around that. Yeah, but it seems like when he's on the field, he's he's bought into what you're trying to do. And as you say, I think that's the sign of a good man-manager is that maybe he is putting the onus fully on the players. These are your roles and responsibilities. This is your part to play in it. Um, but he's also keeping his distance, which is good, and I don't think he's got his favourites, has he, Postacoglu? And I reckon if somebody no, I don't think. wasn't pulling their weight, I think he would be the first one to say, right, you're out of the team, you're on the bench. Um, and that would continue for a few weeks. And I see that kind of personality trait in Arteta. I know he's a bit clingy and over the top with his celebrations, and that's completely different from what Postacoglu puts across. But I actually think they're there are some similarities in their style of management and you can potentially be hopeful, Jack, that you're going to go on a similar trajectory to Arsenal. Um, it does depend on how much Levy's willing to spend. Do you think he will put his hand in his pocket? and Or have you got to see how this season goes and then next summer that determines what he might be willing to sanction? I think it's it's interesting because I don't I don't think under Daniel Levy will ever be the club that spends a hundred million pounds on one player, but we're still the club under Levy, which he probably doesn't get enough credit for, that will spend a hundred mil on two players. You know, yeah. Um, I think we're always 
trying to look for. I, don't, I, I just don't think we're, we're ever going to be the club that is going to look at the big shiny thing. Something. I mean, that that's not to do Declan Rice a disservice. He's he's a fantastic footballer, one of the best players in the country. And that's what I mean by that in terms of he's like, you know, he's he's the prize asset for a team. And I, I just think we are going to be the team that will look for who can be the next Declan Rice. You know, that's yep. generally going to be Tottenham's MO. And and that, you know, that may that may well come good with a manager like Ange Postacoglu. We are seemingly changing our focus to, to data-led acquisitions now. This is something that's been, you know, made a, made a lot of um, in conversations while we've ended up with someone like Vicario in goal for us who just looks like an absolute steal at £17 million, an absolutely unbelievable goalkeeper who I was, you know, sort of annoyed at us for signing. Signing, You know, we'd passed up on David Raya who had yeah. a horror show last night. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. I don't know, mate. We'll, we'll have to see where it goes. Just just in closing, mate, on, a, on our game, how how are you going to, how are you going to come at us? How are you going to approach this game? Will you be open? Will you be kind of the more pragmatic Moyes ball. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I can confirm low block, it. Will, low block. It will, yeah. Yeah. Low block, stodgy, um, pump the ball upfield, try and hit you on the counter. You'll have, or oh, probably 70% possessions generous, to be honest. Um, you're going to have to find ways to break us down. I don't think it's going to be an entertaining watch, but it could still be a game filled with goals because You've got the attacking threats that I've already touched on, but we've got some good players too. And Jarrod Bowen is fit again. Kudus is coming into a bit of form. Paqueta seems to play well in big games for us. James Ward-Prowse from set pieces. You know, we're always a danger at set pieces and now we've signed him um, even more so. And as you've got some injuries and you haven't got all of your leaders on the field, I do think that we can get at you. I just worry that we're still making too many mistakes at the back. Um, Mavropanos made a horrible mistake at the weekend to allow Watson Edwards to score um, for Crystal Palace. And it's those kind of things that we're not really eliminating from our game at the moment. Our concentration is good for 85 minutes, but we're having these little lapses in concentration, which are costing us points. Um, I think you're the kind of team that will benefit from that. But... You know, you're going to have to be wary of us on the counter-attack. Luckily for you, Mikel Antonio is not fit. So we're not going to have that bulldozing, um, punishing of your back four. And who have you got at the back at the moment? Emerson Royale has been playing centre-back, hasn't he? Royale and Davis, but Romero will be back for this one now. So it will be Romero and I would imagine probably Ben Davis starts alongside him. Yeah. Well... It should be Jared Bowen through the middle for West Ham, which doesn't offer much of a physical threat. So from that perspective, I think you'd be a bit more worried, wouldn't you, if you had Antonio against you, if you didn't have Van der Ven next to Romero? Because yeah. I think Antonio might be able to exploit Ben Davis and maybe run the channels. But um, Wind up Romero as well. Absolutely. Yeah, he's not going to get that. Um, with Bowen, he might get it with Piketa, maybe, but we're going to be so far camped in our own half, mate, that Romero will probably be an isolated figure for much of the game. Right. Well, are you, can I press you for a prediction, Toby? Yeah. It's always a fun bit, this. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if I've mentioned it already. I've captained Son 
in my FPL team. <laughs> I think that tells you everything you need to know about my confidence levels heading into the game. Um, I said to the boys 3-2 Spurs this morning. Um, so that is my actual prediction. My okay. optimistic prediction is 2-2. We take a point away. Okay, nice one. Well, cheers that, Tobes. Um, Thank you, mate. I would say good, good luck, but you know. <laughs> but you just wouldn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, thank you very much, Toby. Cheers, mate. Good chat. Good chat. Good lad, Toby. Good chat. And a good lad. Um, so, yep, going into this, it's a pretty big game against West Ham, isn't it, now? They can, you know, capture a lot of ground on us. We're suddenly, suddenly finding ourselves getting somewhat closer to that middle band of teams now, the mid-table teams, than we are the top of the table. We're... we're Neatly in between the two of them. So three points here against West Ham would be, it would be pretty delightful. Um, keeps ahead of Newcastle, ahead of our game with them, and just, you know, keep us climbing the table, keep us in that contention for the top four, top five places in the Premier League. Um, we are obviously boosted by the return of Christian Romero, who's completed his three match ban. Richarlison could get more game time after a cameo substitute appearance on Sunday upon his return. You'd imagine, given that Postacoglu's question, like singled him out um, in the presser, you would imagine that it's likely that he'll only get a cameo again if he does come on against West Ham. And that might be good. You know, maybe late, late winner, late winner perhaps. Um, West Ham captain Kurt Zuma is available after missing the draw of Crystal Palace for personal reasons. His house got burgled, didn't it? And I don't know if you saw, the official West Ham account put out this, they put out a tweet basically saying, we'll pay, we'll pay 30 grand for anyone that lets us know anything about Kurt Zuma's Robin. Um, because, I don't know, it's, it felt sort of it felt sort of oddly t- tin pot in a way, I want to say. And it also felt quite sinister, didn't it? It sort of felt like the kind of thing where, you know, they're going to send around like some sort of white vans full of skinheads in leather jackets and stonewashed, stonewashed jeans. Um, what proper East End hard nuts, Mitchell brother types. Um, to go and like bash up anyone that's been robbing their players' houses. Did feel felt quite ominous, felt quite sinister. Um, but maybe that's just me being, I don't know, classist, projecting on a on a good, good old fashioned family working class club like West Ham. You know, how dare I? Um, the Hammers have reported no injuries from that game, but Mikel Antonio is still battling a hamstring problem. Thank goodness. I, f- I often feel like he shows up against us and I, I really don't like him. So here's some match facts head-to-head. Tottenham are looking for a fourth consecutive home win over West Ham in all competitions. This kind of goes into Toby's point of maybe my worries about this fixture being a bit misplaced, that our losses against them stick out more than the fact that we beat them quite often. West Ham have won just two of their last 21 Premier League away games versus Spurs having drawn seven and lost 12. Since becoming the first visiting team to win a Premier League game at Tottenham, um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in April 2019, West Ham are winless in their past four league visits to Spurs. Drawn one, lost three. Come on, you Spurs. Um, Here's a few match facts about West Ham coming into this. 
After losing three league games in a row, West Ham are unbeaten in their last three. Have won two, drawn one. They have won three away matches in this season's Premier League. As many as they won in the whole of last season. It's pretty mad, isn't it? West Ham haven't kept a clean sheet in any of their past 11 top flight away games. Although they have scored at least once in each of their last eight on the road in the league. The Hammers have lost nine of their last ten away London derbies in the Premier League. They didn't win any of their six midweek Premier League games last season, drawing two, losing four, including losing the most recent three. Jared Bowen has scored in each of his six Premier League away appearances this season. He's really annoyingly good, Jared Bowen. And he's such like a West Ham darling now. Obviously, he's won them the Europa Conference League, so he's going to be a a hero for them forever. He signed that new long-term contract with them. I think he's a really good player. I really like him. I think he'd be really good for us in this sort of system that we play now. But alas, alas, he is not a Tottenham player. He is a West Ham player and one that, yeah, I'm glad we've got Romero back to deal with. He's not the most physical player, but he is, he's pretty tricky. He's, he's quite, he's quite quick as well, Bowen. Um, he's got that good knack of beating the offside trap, I find. I noticed that about him like Sonny has. So, yeah, um, keep an eye on him, eh? Keep an eye on him. Some match facts about Tottenham going to this game. Tottenham are without a victory in their previous four league games. Drawn one, lost three, despite scoring the opening goal in all four of those matches. They have dropped 13 points from winning positions in this season's Premier League. Only Burnley have dropped more. That's pretty bad, isn't it? But we look, we are going through this crisis, weird crisis period of having next to no players available for us. So let's get some perspective here, right? Spurs could lose. Spurs could lost. Hang on. That's not right, is it? Spurs could lose three home league matches in a row for the first time since 2008. I'm surprised we've not done it more recently than that. That's kind of what my consternation in my voice was. But a win could see them reach 30 points after 15 matches for only the third time in their Premier League history. Do you want to guess the other? I'm going to give you a couple of moments. A couple of moments to guess the other seasons in which they might have done this. You ready? You ready to guess? You ready? Yeah. 2011-12 and the 2018-19 seasons. Spurs have scored in 26 successive God, that's Spurs have scored in 26 successive. It's like one of those tongue twisters, isn't it? Round the ragged rocks, the ragged rascal ran. Spurs have scored in 26 successive league matches. Their longest such run since 1986-87. Son Hyun-min has scored five goals and had three assists in his eight Premier League home games against West Ham, finding the net at least once in each of his last three. I mean, we could only speculate as to the reasons why Son Hyun Min maybe ups his game somewhat against West Ham. We can only speculate. We can only speculate. But it's nice to put that certain element of their fan base in their place, isn't it? What a wonderful thing to do for Sonny um, and for Spurs as well. Um, so yes this is going to be an interesting one I, I, do you know what going into this 
prior to the prior to the city game i was i was thinking you know it is their cup final um they do love to show up for this one this is you know this uh, this could be a tricky one and we don't we also we don't really like teams sitting back do we we don't like the low block we've seen that already this season even when we've been flying it's often required the genius of james madison to unlock these type of games um Will Gio Lo Celso stand up to this sort of test? Remains to be seen. Let's hope so. Let's hope he can continue in this positive positive uh, vein of form. Kulisevsky as well playing centrally. Perhaps you'd imagine again. He is, a, he is a creative outlet for us. So it would be nice to see him. I mean, obviously it would be nice to see us unlock West Ham as they, as they moise ball us. Um, I am feeling more positive about this one. I'm sort of I'm, I'm I'm hovering over saying this could be a draw, but you know what? Let's let's do it. We we we're, we're long overdue a win. It's been a long time now. It's been it's mad, isn't it? It's been like a month since we've seen Tottenham win a game now. After how amazing the start of this season was, and like like I was talking to Rose about on the pod the other day, it's just so good when Tottenham win games. Like football isn't that complicated, right? And we can always draw out these long well you know we got a process and we look to tomorrow and we can see all the foundations we're putting in place nah it's just nice winning games isn't it it's nice to do it now yeah all that other stuff is nice it doesn't take away from that but winning games is absolutely class it's quality such good fun when Tottenham get into those those veins of form and it's like one again one again one again great we're bouncing everyone's bouncing everyone's hugging and they're all jolly and merry and it's just good it's good fun we want that back we want our best players back and if we can't have our best players back let's at least still hope that the lads that are stepping in that Postacoglu is championing will still get the job done because I don't want to lose I don't want to lose to this I don't want this lot to be another kind of notch on this string of us not winning for now regardless of our injury woes regardless of our suspensions we've got a doggy in Romero back now so there's no there's no regardless of suspensions there regardless of the injury woes we should have enough players there enough players of a certain caliber of a certain quality to be able to do the business over this lot Kulisevsky is going from strength to strength Pedro Porro going from strength to strength Destiny a doggy been a little bit wobbly like in the last sort of game or so but look we've seen how amazing he is so let's give him some backing Romero back with a point to prove Vicario absolutely all conquering Sonny always loves to show up against this lot Brennan Johnson what a player absolutely unbelievable the Brian Hill redemption arc continues from here the Giovanni Lo Celso redemption arc continues from here the whoever plays alongside him redemption or whatever arc Perhaps continues there. I wonder who it will be, if it'll be Hoybio or Biss. Dunno. Be an interesting one that. But anyway, um look, come on Tottenham. Let's have this lot. Let's see what we can do. There's a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of games. It's 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 getting mad, isn't it? It's that part of the season. But here we are. Gotta to continue to believe in this man, continue to believe in these players. Come on, you Spurs. Up the Spurs. Nice three points to see us into the weekend against Newcastle. Let's have it. Come on, you Spurs. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 